0: Kyle here. Um, What is this? What is this new season we're moving into? Well, uh, quite simply, uh, we are gathering together in a new way. Our purpose here is still to pursue the presence of Jesus. And now many of you, you're you're on a couch. Uh, If you're really bold, you're still in bed, even though you're with your group on a Zoom call. Here's my invitation to you. Uh, This time is a time where we get together to to proclaim that Jesus is the truly human one. And so that's what I want to invite you into is that over these next number of weeks as we gather in in this digital space to pursue the presence of Jesus that, that the posture of your heart would be such that that you are saying yes like I want to I want to meet with Jesus this morning. And so this, this first teaching that we're going into this week, it's going to be a little bit longer. We're, we're building out kind of a framework of what is it to be a faithful presence in this moment. And so I just want to invite you uh, to, to open up to the reality of God coming to you, that that it doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're in a school, auditorium, a chapel, or in your living room with your friends digitally there with you, that God meets us anywhere and everywhere, and he is inviting any of us and all of us to come to him. And so today, may we all find rest and peace in our Jesus, who is the one who is faithful. (laughs) Gateway. Uh, Good morning, or good afternoon, (laughs) or good evening. Whatever the time of day is that you and your community are gathering together virtually to take in this teaching, welcome to church? Yeah. Um, You see, although our gatherings may have stopped, uh, the church has not stopped in fact the scriptures will say that hell itself will not prevail against this church who is jesus's church and so first and foremost i just want to thank you i just want to thank you for um like being the church um living into that and this is the new way that we're doing so the the new way that we are embodying the way of jesus here together and yet apart from one another uh, this past week i've probably had more facetime interactions more phone calls than i have in the past year um, and it's amazing to see how flexible and pliable the church is and uh, i think that that's what we're called to and that that's what we'll look at today what is it to be uh, jesus's church in a time such as this and so uh, as, as we get going here, um, as I've, I've said this a number of times now in, uh, in, a, in a handful of conversations, conversations with our elders, I uh, mentioned on our little podcast, The Daily, where we're carving out time each morning uh, to, to meditate on the scriptures, to uh, reflect on a saint or, or pray a prayer together. Uh, and what I've said is this, is, is that in a season where social distancing is so prevalent, it's so easy to fall, it prey to social dislocation, and what that means is that for us as a church, we get to stand in the gap, in the gap between social distancing and social dislocation, and that's that's what we're giving ourselves to in these moments. And so, thank you for that. And I, I know, uh, like the nature of this present moment is a, a little unsettling for us. If you feel the feels that I'm feeling, that's the word. It is unsettling. And we may even say, well, I, I just, it's everything is out of sorts. I had plans to travel for a spring break. Suffice it to say, all the normal rhythms of life have been disrupted. And that's okay. That's okay because Jesus is faithful to be here with us. And I had a friend who texted this, he said, he's just quipping on a little Bible verse, but saying, where ten or less are gathered, he is present in in their midst. It's just like such a moment uh, could draw out that in the church. But but it's true. And as I've considered what God might have uh, for his local church here, I'm not saying that I'm some mediator between God and his church. No, Jesus, this is Jesus' church. We simply want to be faithful. And so as as a pastor here, I've been asking, well, God, where might you be leading us? And what I've been drawn back to are the Apostle Paul's words in this often forgotten letter in the New Testament called Philemon. Just for a little context, Philemon is a Roman householder which means he's the head of the household in a patriarchal context and time. And what Paul is going to write Philemon about is about receiving a former runaway slave back into his home, no longer as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. It's this disruptive and powerful letter. And so if you have your Bible uh, or your phone in hand, any technology of sorts, I just invite you to flip or tap your way on over to Paul's letter to Philemon, And specifically, I just invite you to find your way to verse 4. And as you're making your way there, uh, let, let me just say a brief word of prayer for our time. And so, yeah, you're, you're welcome to posture yourself if you're at home. Maybe finally you feel comfortable to get on your knees. <laughs> uh, but I would just invite you, not as an act to me, uh, but to Jesus, to say, in this moment, I'm, I'm open to receiving from you. So with your, with your palms open, uh, let, let us pray. Father, we wait on you. And we ask for your grace in this moment. Would you lead us by the power of your Spirit, to the living word, who is Jesus. Jesus, would we, the church, look and sound like you in this moment. So God, help us to trust you amidst angst and fear and distancing and isolation. Would we know that you have drawn near to us through your spirit? And so spirit, would you do what only you do and that is to lead us to Jesus in this moment. And we pray this in your strong name, Jesus. Amen. So if you haven't found your way there yet, uh, Philemon, verse 4, this is what we read. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Late this past fall, we did a brief series in Paul's letter to Philemon. And the first sermon in that little series was entitled The Disruptive Power of Faithful Presence. I know, quite memorable. You probably have it uh, like plastered on your refrigerator or something. I guess I kid, but uh, that that title came out of this place where I was deeply stirred by Paul's letter to Philemon and the power that being present when others won't has in the life of a follower of Jesus. And that little title there, and a lot of the teaching in that series really stemmed from the work of Edwin Friedman and specifically his work on being a non-anxious presence. And so if you're not familiar with Friedman, uh, he was a Jewish rabbi and a therapist that focused largely on uh, family systems theories. And, and uh, over the years, what he did with the, um, all of the research and the time with people is he, he started to apply that system and that theory to larger systems, uh, like the synagogue and businesses and eventually nations. And Friedman in his book, A Failure of Nerve, uh, points to the long-standing myth that is progress, namely progress in the West. And it's this basic idea, if you're unfamiliar with uh, progress, it's this idea that everything will work out the way it's supposed to, and that by natural selection, it will somehow end in this utopian state. But Friedman points out that despite all the technological progress, we're actually regressing. We're going backwards relationally and emotionally. Friedman's thoughts are decades old by now, but but at this moment, they are so poignant. I mean, take, for example, this past week, the financial fallout and COVID-19 exposed that we are human, (laughs) that no amount of technology and progress has stood in the way of a virus. So our present saviors, an iPhone, science, medicine. The, those things have also fallen prey to, to the system that they supposedly built that was going towards utopia. You see, it's, it's a myth. And I'm not alone in saying this. A secular psychologist will say the same thing. But, but by and large, what we see is that our humanity has been exposed. And I think this is a gift for us, church. I think it's a gift to see that our humanity has been exposed. And so we just have to ask, what does it mean to be truly human? Who is the truly human one? And now Paul, in this little letter, he's he's going to draw upon who this truly human one is, to to set forth a new way of living. And now, um, with all this said, we're not going to do a deep dive into systems theory today Uh, We're not gonna look at Friedman's five aspects of an anxious culture, but we are going to examine our response in this moment. We are going to examine our response in this anxious moment and to see how Jesus offers us another way forward. You see, wherever we find ourselves, uh, whether we are nervous, whether we're fearful uh, or or we're cautious or we're curious, maybe we're frustrated, wherever we are, wherever you are, if you are a follower of Jesus, how you respond in this moment is of the utmost significance. And what I mean is that our response tells a story. Like right now, how you respond to your neighbor that the person at the grocery store, uh, your shipped shopper when they drop off your groceries, how you respond in all those moments is telling a story. And Babette Buster, who's this well-known cinematographer, she says this, uh, that narrative is our culture's currency and that he who tells the best story wins. It's interesting how Babette connects currency with winning. Now, that's another sermon for another time but but keep that in mind that story is a currency and what babette is really touching on and and it kind of hurts at this moment when she touches it (laughs) is that what we say and that what we do from the small little decisions to the big monumental ones it tells part of our story it and i think there's some truth to be had there something that we the church could learn in a moment such as this, that, that narrative is our culture's currency. You see, on Wednesday of this week, a tweet went out from a prominent figure in the political landscape calling COVID-19 the Chinese virus. And now, regardless of what you think about that or your political stance or anything in that vein, what I encountered as I saw like responses Unfold after that tweet landed on the Twitter sphere were really like polarizing. It was outrage, frustration, anger, or it was passivity and almost apathy and just like sadness, even. First and foremost, like what you see and what is prominent is the yelling that goes back. It's like a shouting match on the internet. And so there's this, there's this swing of the pendulum towards this one pole of outrage. And then on the other side it's, it's that swing back and through the middle you find some responsible and caring responses and yet then at the other side you, you find this passivity. And Now, passivity can be just not saying anything, maybe because you agree with the tweet or because you're just indifferent. But when I say passivity, I'm, I'm thinking it's like hanging on the edge of apathy. In my estimation, both of these categories, passivity and outrage, are playing this culture's game. They're trying to win. They're trying to tell the best story. And as I sat in the tension of this polarity with one little tweet, I found these words from Ronald Richardson in his book, Polarization in the Healthier Church, just super helpful. So this is a bit of a longer quote, so uh, lean in for this. Ron says this, It is normal for human communities to hold a range of opinions along a continuum on nearly any topic. Normally, people in groups do not all think the same. Life would be dull if that were the case. In polarization, as in an electrified atmosphere of opposing forces, people begin to regard those who do not think the way they do as the enemy. And as the intensity of feelings increases, they seek to defeat and even humiliate or destroy one another. Respect for others is lost. And then listen to this the ethic of love gives way to the ethic of hate. See, as I sat in that tension, those words resonated. The ethic of love gives way to the ethic of hate. See, the the reason that we're setting ourselves in front of Paul's words to Philemon today is because in the cultural moment that we find ourselves, all sorts of stories are swirling about us. There's tweets, there's like an unfolding news story. It's this like just anxiety feedback loop that... That, quite frankly, um, if you're a major media news outlet, it makes you money for us to stay involved in that. So you don't necessarily want to quiet the anxiety or still the hearts of your listeners or, or instill peace. But you fan the flames of divisiveness. You, you fan the flames of polarization, and an ethic of love quickly gives way to an ethic of hate. And so here we are today with Paul, because one commentator estimates that in one year, we will see more advertisements than a person 50 years ago saw in their entire lifetime. And now we are all paying closer attention. Just let that sink in. Your attention is, is for some a dollar sign. And this isn't a political statement, it's just an economic statement. But Jesus, Jesus is inviting us, church, to give our attention to the world in a new way. Not outrage, not passivity, but a new way, the way of Jesus. And so in the midst of this, Paul's words, uh, they begin to disrupt the passivity and the outrage And they they give us a framework for a counter-narrative to live into. It's like when the culture zags, Paul zigs. Because he's not trying to make investments in cultural capital. He's not trying to play the game. He's not trying to win for Jesus. So just just check this out. With with all of that in mind, turn your attention back to Philemon 4. Because this is where Paul is starting to tease out this new way forward. Uh, Look at this again, verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear, and then pay attention to these two words, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. See, the story that marks Philemon's life, this wealthy householder in this Roman town of Colossae, it's the ethic of love. It's the story of faith. Those are the things that draw out gratitude to God in Paul's life as he he thinks about Philemon. In other words, you could say it is the faithful presence of Philemon that draws out gratitude in Paul at this moment. This is the third way forward. You know, when we started doing this teaching series, uh, back in the late, late fall of 2019 I, I didn't know how we would have an opportunity to digest it because this is a, this is a wholesome meal, if you will. It's a small letter, but a wholesome meal to be had here. This moment is a gift to us church. This moment is a gift for us to really be the church, to, to make a third way forward. But the beauty is, is, is we don't have to grit our teeth, we don't have to clench our fists, we don't have to scream in outrage or withdraw in passivity. Jesus has made this way forward. We get to be with him and become like him and do what he did and be a faithful presence in the wake of Jesus. And what I'm reminded of is in, this, in this, these two little verses is that what we say and what we do from the small moments to the large ones They tell part of our story. And if we are to be a community following Jesus, it's gonna look different in this moment. It just is. And you see, I'm not here to really persuade you to be less outraged. If you're outraged by that tweet, um, hold, hold your outrage and filter it through your faith in Jesus. If you feel passivity coming on, hold your passivity and filter it through your faith in Jesus. I, I, I'm not here to necessarily move you from one thing or the other because this isn't about Twitter. R- rather, my hope is, is that we might turn to the scriptures and find in it a place of deep encouragement, a, p- a place that we're actually drawn into the presence of Jesus. Just as a reminder, that's why we do this. Like we don't gather because it it holds social capital. We, We don't gather because it feels nice on a Sunday morning to get up and do those things. Brunch is often better than a Sunday morning, except when you have this expectancy that Jesus will meet you. Jesus is meeting us in these moments. We gather to pursue his presence that's why we're doing this. That's why we're drawing our attention to the scriptures, to be a people who, like Paul and Philemon, aren't polarized by the politics of their day. People who zig when the culture zags. And I think Philemon is this window into a new world of possibilities for us. And the curious thing about this moment is that our faithful presence may be our absence. You know, it's it seems like every hour uh, there's an update coming, if if not every day, and over this past week, my goodness, it's it's gone from uh, gatherings of 250 or more need to cease, gatherings of 50 or more need to cease, and now gatherings of 10, be extremely cautious. You see, our faithful presence may be our absence. This is a moment. W- let me just, what if this was a moment that we as a church led out in loving with our absence but not forgetting people, not letting people with the distance become dislocated from one another? We have become so clever at how to use technology for our own purposes. What if all of the gifts and the skills that we have that, that, that center around promoting ourselves are now turned into loving others? What if the like the natural pathways and like the information superhighway that is Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and uh, TikTok? What if those became ways to love our neighbors, to to point to tangible needs that need to be met, that direct giving could be done? I mean, the possibilities are endless. So those are the places we get to show up. It's a different type of presence. It's not outrage. It's not passivity, it's faithfulness in the name of Jesus. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that as we turn our attention with Paul to Philemon, that there's a lot of cultural debris in this, in this letter. This is a letter that's literally been used to justify slavery and oppression of other people. So I'm not trying to sidestep that by any means. But with a posture of humility, that, it, that is a posture that's willing to say, I might I may be wrong here. And, and one that says, gosh, I, I, I can't be the authority. I need to appeal to an authority outside of myself to help lead me. With a posture like that, I think, I think that we could look to Paul and see that as he praises God for Philemon's partnership and love and faith, that our love and faith could be stirred for one another. Because for Paul, when he says this stuff, these aren't idle words. He, he thinks this is real. Like, it, it's not just a theory. It's something we do in our relationships. And speaking into this, Will Willimon, a professor at Duke Divinity, he says this. He says, the most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant, which we can't even have right now. But rather, a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds a community, that there can be no explanation other than that something decisive happened in history. You see, as Paul writes to Philemon, he's writing in a time and in a place Where Philemon, as this Roman householder, has every right under Roman law to do with Onesimus, this runaway slave, as he sees fit, even to the point of death. And yet Paul has the audacity to ask Philemon to receive Onesimus back as more than a slave, as a brother in Christ as a beloved brother. So this is way more than just a nice kindness or paying it forward. This is unheard of. This is the invitation of faithful presence. This has the potential to disrupt the disruption. But look at this move that Paul pulls near the end of the letter in verse 17. Go there with me. We read this in verses 17 and 18. So if you consider me, now this is Paul directly addressing Philemon. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. See, For Paul, he's not the one that models the faithful presence and yet he is. Here's what I mean. See, for Paul, Jesus is the one in whom reconciliation lives. Jesus is the one who has stood ultimately in the gap. Jesus is the one who stood in the gap of our sin, of our rebellion, of our shaming of others as the truly human one. And so because Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, in him there is a way forward. And Paul sees that, he knows that, he knows it in his bones. And so in one sense, Paul is saying, it's not me, and yet it is me, but more so, it's Christ in me. Because Jesus is the place where reconciliation lives. He is the one where our sins are, no, like he's the one in whom our sins are no longer counted against us. And, and when I start talking about sin here, my, my goodness, I, I hope that there's no connection for you between uh, sin and COVID-19. I just want to dispel that, if, if it's even clamoring in the background of your mind. That we, we just don't, we don't know those things. And so what we get to do is we get to quiet that noise and come to Jesus, remember, with humility. And like Paul, say, it's Jesus. He, he is the one. And so for both Onesimus and Philemon, he says, "I'll stand in the gap. Why? Because Jesus stood in the gap for him. Notice, Paul never asks anything that he himself is unwilling to do. Paul places himself in the place of Jesus, not as a demanding authority, but as a humble servant to absorb the offense. He says this, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. He's willing to absorb it, to pay the cost so that reconciliation may take place. See, faithful presence may for us look like paying a real cost. So if you have much, give much. If you have little, give much. I know that seems upside down. I know it seems backwards because if you have Jesus, you have more than you could ever imagine. So the call for us in this moment is is twofold. It's this question of what does it mean to be truly human? And as you ask and consider and and dwell on that question and look to Jesus, the other part of that is, what story am I telling? What does it mean to be human and what story am I telling? And so Gateway, this week my invitation to you is, is to soak yourself in this letter that's about reconciliation and in a moment, where there is so much distancing and so much isolation and so much dislocation, because Jesus has stood in the gap for us, may we stand in the gap for one another. So practically, this is what this means. If you have a genuine need, if you have been experiencing isolation even in this past season this is the time for us to know we we don't we can't read your mind <laughs> so we need your help in that so practically reach out to us at info at share your needs we want to help meet those needs so here's how we're going to end our time I'm going to give you a benediction of sorts um, and then with your group go in. There's going to be a guide to help lead you through, back through this teaching to answer those last questions of what does it mean to be human? And what story am I telling? And so here it is. May the grace and peace of our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, be with you. May it be with you and in you and through you as you stand in the gap between those who are far off and those who need to come near.